Hello, everybody. Hello. Well, it's great to be here. This is my third straight year in a row. Is that right? Third in a row? It's incredible. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing when you uh, look outside and uh, you just, you see the horrible fires that are outside. But yet, right in the midst of all of it, there's a bunch of young people that are really turning the tide of the city, I believe, tonight by just worshiping God and praising Him in spite of it all. How many of that's a positive testimony right now that we worship God no matter what and we just praise Him no matter what? And, uh, man, I, I tell you, tonight is going to be a great night. I am so blessed to watch you guys worship year after year. You think that when you come back, it gets a little bit, it would get a little bit less intense. It gets stronger and stronger every single year. And I'm just so blessed to be here. Thank you for allowing me to be here for my third straight year in a row. Uh, David Perkins, the whole crew, and Pastor, Pastor Brady, he is the man. I love Pastor. If you're watching, Pastor Brady and his son, who uh, today was kung fuing me all day long. It was awesome. And uh, I mean, we, you got some of the greatest, greatest family, greatest church, and greatest groups that are here. And uh, we're just going to have a big night. How many believe that tonight? We're going to have a big night. How many, this is your, how many, this is your first time here? Can you raise your, oh my goodness. It's almost everybody. It is like 90%, it looked like. It's incredible. So it's great to see everyone here tonight. And uh, we're going to get started. If you don't know who I am, I, I pastor a church in downtown Los Angeles in the middle of the inner city of Los Angeles called the Dream Center. Um, it's a big old hospital. I don't know if they have any kind of footage of it, but it's a big old hospital. That There it is, 400,000 square feet. And it's in the middle of the Hollywood Freeway. And uh, we have 750 people that live in our building who are homeless, addicted to drugs, who are coming off drugs, human trafficking victims, uh, homeless families, you name it, all living in one building right there in downtown. So I've been pastoring for 18 years since I was 20, so I know a little bit about being passionate, about being young. And uh, I think sometimes we tell young people um, growing up in the church oftentimes, just stay pure, just stay pure, just stay pure. But I think that if you want to challenge kids to live right, we've got to give them something big to live for. Amen? And we've got to believe that right now when you're young, you could do something great beyond just getting out of trouble, right? And your heart can be touched by God. And you can walk out of a place like this tonight, believing that when God gives you a big dream and something to live for, nothing can stop you. And I just believe that tonight. So um, I'm so blessed to be here. And, and tonight, um, at, at the end of service, if you go out that door 11 right there, we have a booth. I'd love to say hi. Um, we have my brand new book, The Cause Within You, available if you want to pick it up. Uh, the proceeds go to the Dream Center, and, uh, and uh, it's available after the service. So if you want to pick it up after service, we'd love to see you. And uh, we also have a college that we, had, we started in September, Dream Center Leadership School. And uh, it's, a, uh, it's an entire leadership academy with uh, four credit colleges if you want to come and spend a year there. It's just all out there after service here tonight. So thank you for allowing me to do that. Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and uh, 17 and verse 16. I'm going to do something very unusual. I am going to preach the story of David and Goliath in one verse. In one verse, all right? It's a long chapter, but I am going to read one verse and give you a background behind my message here today and believe that God is going to move in a powerful way. Thank you. I was just going to freestyle. I was just going to roll with whatever's on stage here. Thank you for bringing that up here. First uh, Samuel chapter 17 and verse 16. Here's my sermon. And the Philistines drew near and presented, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself, Goliath, for 40 days morning and evening, Goliath presented himself for 40 days and 40 evenings. I'm going to preach to you tonight on the subject of one move. 
one move. And I believe that God's going to change your life tonight. Father, I pray as we deliver this message that, Lord, I just pray that the name desperation would ring in our heart tonight, Lord, that we would be so desperate for something more, so desperate for a level of living that is beyond us, God, that would take us to a place that is greater than anything that we've ever experienced. And I pray tonight that you would just move in a mighty way, and I ask you to do something extraordinary in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that Goliath presented himself before the, the, the armies of Israel every single morning and every single evening. So, for an example, the Bible said that the people of Israel were standing on one side, and then the if armies of the Philistines were standing on the other side. And every day, David would walk in, and he would see these armies as he was the pizza delivery boy for all the soldiers on the front line. And as he was delivering a pizza to the guys on the front line, David began to do something that nobody else began to do. You see, the soldiers got to the place to where they were used to the intimidation. They were used to Goliath coming out every single day and, and, and taunting them. And they got to the place in their life to where they were just convenient. They were happy with being intimidated. As long as nothing really happened, they were fine with just sitting in their protective shell. So every day, morning and night, he could come out. But every morning when they would wake up, Goliath was on their mind. Every night they went to bed, Goliath was on their mind. If you talk about somebody literally being in somebody's head, Goliath was in the head of David. And every single day, think about it. How many here know that young people, you can go to school, you can go every single morning, and many of you now in our system here today, you can literally go to school and feel intimidated every single morning. Or maybe when you go to bed, feel intimidated by school every single day. There's things in this world that literally present themselves to us, oftentimes in the morning and oftentimes in the evening. And nobody was willing to fight. Nobody was willing to stand up. And David comes onto the scene, and he doesn't really say he's going to fight, but David starts to do something that nobody else began to do. He began to ask questions that pertain to the future beyond the giant by the name of Goliath. He began to ask questions like, who is this big old guy? It's none of your business, David. He's a giant. He's intimidated us. All he's doing is asking questions. Who is this big old guy that he could defy the armies of Israel? And then David asked her, he asked, who is this guy? He says, what shall be done for the man who beats this Philistine? And then after that, he asked another question. Is there not a cause? David is doing nothing but just asking questions. He's just showing up, and he's asking questions. But can I tell you something? The questions you ask about your future oftentimes determine the kind of future that you're going to have in your life. Those questions of what if I overcame this in my life? What can I become in Jesus? What if I overcame insecurity? I wonder what I could become. Start asking yourself questions this week that are beyond the intimidation and the giants, and God is going to show up, and God is going to answer those questions. When I was 20 years of age, I was intimidated. I pastored in the middle of the inner city at 20. I, I was only pastoring there because my dad had inherited a church next to a liquor store in one of the biggest gang-ravaged communities in L.A. And the church was right there next to a liquor store. And nobody could find it. Gang members trying to break in every single day. And I'm a 20-year-old kid that showed up because nobody else wanted a job. And I was about 130 pounds back then. I just got out basically out being a teenager. And I showed up, and every single day I would go into the office intimidated by the job of trying to pastor a church that I managed to take from 18 members down to two in the first six months. 
And I was intimidated. And I was so discouraged, I'd go outside and, and all the gang members hanging out in the liquor store every day, you know, drinking their 40s, you know. And I'd be out there and I'd quietly open the church building because I was the only staff member. So I would open up the building and make sure nobody was around. And I tried to pastor on Sunday and I was intimidated. And one night in my building, not one person showed up for a Sunday night church. I'm 20 years of age. God called me on an, in an altar in a night exactly like this. That's why I'm burning with such energy tonight. That's why God is just putting an extra gear in my heart tonight. Because I know what it's like to be this age. I know what it's like to come down to the altar and have your heart touched by God. And many people often say, well, that's just kind of young enthusiasm for God. No, it's not. It's the calling and anointing of God. And your life is reshaped by those moments when you make a move in faith unto God. And I'll never forget being by the liquor store and uh, nobody showed up. And one night, all I had left was a walk around my city. I had nothing. I had no church. I had no members. Nobody wanted to hear a 20-year-old preach. So all I had left was a four-hour walk around my city. I decided I was going to take a prayer walk. And I went all the way up down Sunset Boulevard. I saw every needy place in one night. I saw the homeless on Skid Row. And I took a four-hour walk, weeping with every step. God, I'm a 20-year-old failure. I'll never amount to anything. But all I had left was a prayer walk. All I had left was a little bit of desperation that was left. And in that four-hour walk that night, God showed me the face of the city. He showed me drug addicts and drunkards and people stumbling out of clubs in the middle of the night. And God said something so powerful to me. He said, you are at the greatest place you could ever be in your life. You are in a place of rock bottom. And can I tell you something? The greatest place you can be in your life sometimes is rock bottom because God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates them into the person that you are meant to be. And if you're in a place of rock bottom here today, I want to encourage you. You are in a place where God has a possibility of doing the extraordinary in your life. And if you're at a place of rock bottom, Rejoice tonight because you only have one place to go, and that is up when you choose to make a move towards Jesus. One move. And then God starts speaking to me things I never dreamed that were in my heart. Can I, can I tell you something? When you move in faith and obedience, God will give you dreams that you never even knew that you had. He will put things in your heart that you never even knew were there. And God starts speaking to you. I want you to take every home in this neighborhood and take in gang members. I'm like, God, I've never been trained in cross-cultural evangelism. I don't know how to be relevant. And God said, I don't want you to be relevant. I want you to be revolutionary. I want you to show them a faith that they've never seen before. And then God said, I want you to give me this building. And then God gave us a hospital and said, I want you to take in homeless families. And I want you to do this. And I didn't know that that was my dream. I thought I was going to show up and preach and everybody was going to come and hear me preach. I didn't know that God wanted me to be a city janitor walking through the streets of L.A., picking up broken pieces and telling young people they can dream again. I didn't know that, but when you make a move of faith, when you say, God, I am desperate for you, and you come to a place of an altar like tonight and say, God, all I have left is you. All I want is you. All of a sudden, God will begin to speak things in your heart that are so big and that are so scary, and they're things that you don't think you can do. And the reason why he does that is because he'll get the glory if he pulls it off, because in the flesh, you're not great enough to, to handle it. But God, with all things are possible. One move. I'll never forget. We were, someone came up to me in church after, and said, Pastor, I, I, we have a new ministry. There's a new group of people we want to reach in the city. I say, praise God. You know, when everyone comes up to me in our church and says, I want to start a new ministry, I just kind of say, praise the Lord. You're now the pastor of that ministry. Make him the, you know, make him the bishop of that ministry right there. 
And a guy came up to me and said, Pastor, there are vampires on the streets of L.A. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? Yeah, there's people that are dressed up like vampires on Sunset Boulevard, and they actually put, surgically put things in their mouth. And they're actually dressed up like vampires. I said, really? That's crazy. It's called the Twilight Ministry? I mean, what is this, you know? And they said, the vampire. They said, Pastor, can we start a vampire ministry in our church? I said, all right, man, whatever you want, you know. And one day I'm in service, and, and uh, there's a guy that showed up dressed like a vampire. And he didn't like our church people, so he tried. He used to go to churches all over the city and scare churches. He had his face painted white like Dracula. He had his hair pulled back. He wore a cape. He put fangs in his mouth. And he would show up to churches, and he would sit on the front of churches and scare people away from coming in the house of God. Well, one Sunday he came to our church, and, uh, and, and, he, and he tried to do that at our church, but no one in our church was scared. We've got like 400 ex-convicts living in our building, you know, and... <laughs> They just look at the brother. They're like, hey, good to see you, man. You want to see right here in the front row? And I'm preaching, and Dracula is sitting on the front row. And I'm preaching, man, and I'm, I'm kind of freaking out. You know what I mean? And, and I'm preaching there, and he's kind of looking at me with these big old fangs. And, and I'll never forget, I, I gave the altar call with one eye open. And when I gave the altar call, for people to be saved, his name was Ozzy. Go figure. And Ozzy raised his hand, and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And then... And then he said, I want to go into your rehab program. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay. And so I went to some guys. I said, hey guys, this guy wants to come in the rehab program. I know we're full, but can you make some space for this guy? He really wants to stay and get his life together at the Dream Center. And all these big old gang members said, I'm not staying with the guy, you know. And I mean, they, were, they weren't scared of gang members, but they were scared of Ozzy, you know. And, but then I found myself an upstart intern who wanted to impress the pastor. And he said, pastor, I will stay with Ozzy. And I would go the extra mile for Jesus. I said, great. And so the next day, um, I will, he woke up and I saw him. I said, hey, man, how did it go staying with Ozzy? He said, Pastor, it was great. There was no problem whatsoever. And all the gang members and uh, the guys in the rehab started laughing. They said, yeah, right, man. This guy, he was so scared last night, he slept with a football helmet on and garlic around his neck all night long. And Ozzy got saved, and he moved back to Vancouver, Canada. Where all the weirdos live in Canada. Oh, I'm just teasing. And, uh, and he got his life back together again for the glory of God. And now he's serving the Lord in a vampire ministry. Can I tell you something? When you submit your life to Jesus, he'll give you dreams that you never even knew that you had. He will show you things about your future that were never even unlocked in your hearts. Can I tell you something? If the idea doesn't make sense, there's a good chance it just might make history. I didn't know God wanted me to start a church like this. I had no clue. This was not in the game plan. This was not on my, my, my play sheet of what God had for me. This was the furthest thing from what I thought I would be doing in my life. I didn't think that I'd be pastoring an outreach church. I mean, let me tell you something. You know you got an outreach church when your ushers wear ankle bracelet monitors because they just got out of prison. Amen? I mean, you know you got an outreach church that while you're preaching, the, re the preacher says, Can I get a witness? And everybody ducks because they're afraid the police will find them, you know. And, I mean, you know you got an outreach church when you make a good point. Someone, someone toasts you by saying, amen, pastor, and raises their 40 up in the air. I mean, you know you got an outreach church. 
This wasn't a plan, but when you move, things happen. When you move and take a step into the extraordinary, you'll find the impossible things that God has put before you. When you take a step beyond that addiction or beyond that besetting sin in your life and say, God, I have nothing but a desperate move, God says, that is all I've ever wanted to do, a miracle. If you don't know what to do, just take a move of faith, and all of a sudden you'll be like David. He's taking all these crazy steps. What will happen? He's asking questions nobody else was willing to ask. And then as he's asking questions, he doesn't realize it, but his body, he's asking faith-filled questions. His body is moving in the direction of the impossible just by asking questions. And then after those three questions, we find him in the dressing room trying on armor, and then he ends up in the biggest battle arena in the history of the world fighting Goliath. Why? Because he let his faith grow. He let the possibilities of what God can do grow. And as he began to speak those words, he began to walk in the direction of the faith that he was proclaiming. And now he finds himself in the battle. And I, I have a suspicion that when David threw that rock, it didn't matter. And some people say David was a marksman. He knew exactly. He had been practicing how to hit certain spots. I don't believe that. I believe he's probably decent. But I believe that it didn't matter where he threw it. If Goliath was over here and he threw it over here, that God would just curve that rock all the way around and hit Goliath in the head. Because the issue is not how good of a rock thrower he was. The issue is he moved in the direction of faith. He moved in the direction of the impossible. And God said, you know what, David? You've already won the battle before the battle. Because you overcame the intimidation that was trying to destroy you. I'll never forget when people told us we want to take in kids 12 to 17 years of age. And uh, kids were going to juvenile hall left and right. And there were homeless kids living in crack houses in downtown L.A. And we used to go to these crack houses. And when you visit these kids, $4 a night, I can't even begin to explain to you. You would open these doors, and there were bunk beds. And you would roll onto the bunk beds, and that's how these kids lived. And I begin to see these kids living in literally, if you can imagine four people living in a closet-sized space in a $4-night hotel in, the, in, in Skid Row, Los Angeles, we begin to see families invade these places and teenagers and kids. And I'll never forget when I, when I went, visited the house, I saw these kids for hours. I said, where's your parents? They said, well, they, uh, they just got their check for the first of the month, and they'll be gone for a few days. They're just out using. We're used to being alone all by ourselves. And our worship team started visiting them, and they became the hero to all these girls. And they started grabbing our legs before we left and saying, no, please don't go. You're the only positive influence in my life. Please don't go. And they were screaming as they were heading back to the cars. And I said, God, man's need is always God's call. And God, we have got to do something about this. And I stood up in my church. I said, we are going to have a licensed home in the state of California for minors 11 to 17 years of age. And people came up to me and said, Pastor, that will never happen. No government will ever license a church to take in minors in a one-year residential rehab program. And right when someone says something can't be done, that's usually a trigger that God is about ready to do something big. And when you recognize that, you can begin to move in the impossible. And for two years, we worked on it, and God began to bless. And things begin to happen. And now the judges are pounding the gavel and they're telling teenagers, you're not going to juvenile hall. They are sentencing teenagers into the house of God instead of prison at the Dream Center where their lives are being restored for the glory of God. Oh, you just got to move. You just got to take a step. David's like, I wonder, he's moving in the direction of faith. I wonder what will be done. Is there not a cause? And as he's asking himself, he's moving his feet in the direction of the battle. My question is tonight, what is the battle of your life that you're ready to take on? Head on for the glory of God. 
I'll never forget one day I was driving on, on down the Hollywood freeway, and I used to get off the 101 every, every day, and I'd see a homeless man for 15 years living under the bridge. He was 45 years of age when I first saw him, and 15 years later, he was 60 years of age. He lived under the bushes and the bridges of L.A., and so every time I would pull off the, the, the freeway, he would look at me, and he would kind of wave at me, and I'd wave back to him, and I'd ask him to come to church, and years went by. He didn't want to change. He just wanted to live homeless. And finally, one of the teenagers that came by who, um, who gave a year of their life to serve at the Dream Center came by, saw this man living under the bridge and said, you need to come up and get a free meal at the Dream Center. We serve about 2,000 hot meals every single day and 40,000 people food a week. You need to come up and get a meal. And so one day I was standing in line and I saw the man I had never been able to reach that some teenager just took a move for a homeless man. And he was standing in line. He got his food. I was so excited. I said, sir, how you doing? He said, good. Took his food and he went right back under the bridge. That's all he did. He did that every day for six months. And then I got real spiritual, you know, like most Christians do. And I started saying things like this. I said, well, this man doesn't really want to change. We are wasting our resource on this homeless man that's just using us for our food. And then God just slapped me upside the head. He said, if you want to be a bridge of hope to the world, you've got to allow yourself to be walked on. Amen? And he was walking all over us and using us. And God said, you asked. You said use me, huh, didn't you? And I said, yes. Well, I'm using you right now. And this guy would get his meal. And one day, one day at 60 years of age, he said, hey, pastor, do you mind if I go into your rehab program? I'm like, our rehab program is crazy. It's like 5.30 in the morning. It's one year. It's not one of those Hollywood celebrity rehabs where you kind of come in, that image make over you. No, this is like real rehab. And he said, can I come into your rehab program? But my dad always taught me in ministry that the right protocol is if you don't believe somebody can do something, you never discourage them and tell them they can't. You just look them in the eye and say, well, this is the ministry a correct response to somebody who says that they want to do something you don't believe they can do. My dad always says, you look him in the eye and say, well, brother, praise the Lord. And he said, I want to come into your rehab program. I said, well, brother, praise the Lord. And he came into our rehab program, and I thought, this guy's never going to make it. I mean, our rehab program is beans and rice and Jesus Christ. I mean, it's 530 every Saturday. That's all it is. He came into our program at 60 years of age, went through the program, graduated the rehab program. And then he said, I want to go to Bible college. He graduated Bible college, and homeless Barry is one of my pastors at the church every single day. He's on my staff. And he's preaching 15 times every single week to all the homeless guys that gather under the bridge in which to eat. And, and it's the funniest thing. You walk in there, and he's preaching. And, man, I mean, these guys are on everything, you know. But he's talking about Jesus and ministering to them for the glory of God. I want to tell you, all because some teenager made a move and, and, and had the audacity to give this man a little bit of hope. His life is transformed for the glory of God. Throw a rock. Take up your mat and walk. The whole Bible is about God um, telling people, Jesus telling people, take one step. Throw a rock. Take a step. Do something. Make one move that will be the catalyst for me to ignite something that could be so powerful. If you're here today and you're living under intimidation, you wake up in the morning, you go to school, you feel intimidated. You go to bed at night, you feel like you're not enough constantly. God, it's never been about how you feel, you go, what you can and cannot do. It's always been about what God can do through somebody who's just willing to take a step. Jesus said to the man by the pool of Bethesda, rise, take up your bed and walk. The man said, sir, I've never been able to do that in my entire life. And Jesus said, that's exactly why I'm asking you to do it. I'm not asking you to do what you can do. I'm asking you to do more than you ever dreamed that you can do. 
Rise, take up your bed, and walk. That man had been laying there for 38 years. 13,870 days of not being transformed. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Sir, you have no right to tell me to do something I haven't been able to 38 years. You see, Jesus never asks us to do what we can do. He asks us to challenge his glory and his power to do more than we ever dreamed that we can do. I do not belong in the hood pastoring. I am not a gangster. I am a wankster. I am not a gangster. When I first came to L.A., I tried to be gangster. I tried to, like, wear baggy pants, you know, and I used to walk around, you know, put my hat on backwards. I'm like, yo, dog, what's going on? And all the gang members said, stop, you are so not gangster. We played in a three-on-three basketball tournament when I first got there. All I had in the ministry, my first in, um, church investment was one of those Kmart basketball hoops that you buy outside. They're so cheap that if someone dunks on it, you know, you have to put sand in the bottom of it. You know, keep it up. If someone dunks it, everything comes flying down. That was my first investment. And we had a three-on-three basketball tournament. Me and two gang members played in the tournament. And we won the tournament because they were good and I wasn't. But they, they won. And when we won, I'll never forget the sign of those gang members. You know, they had their Coronas, and they were kind of like doing this and drinking. And they had their friend. And one guy was like throwing up gang signs. And I didn't know what to do. I'm like so non-gangster, and I try to be tough. The best I can come up with is I just kind of raised up a peace sign like I was a hippie from Oregon or something like that, you know. And uh, there you go, Oregon. I knew there's always an Oregonian in the house. But I can't relate. But God doesn't want us to be relevant. He wants us to be revolutionary people in our communities. I never dreamed that crime would drop 73% in our neighborhood. I never dreamed that 750 people would be living in a building and homeless families and trafficking victims that are living in our building now, a 60-bed facility that we're reaching out to every single day. That wasn't in the script. I had it all figured out out of Bible school. Actually, two years out of Bible school. I quit early at 20. I was supposed to be there for six months. Pastoring. My dad said, can you help me for six months? I've been there for 18 years now. And I had it all figured out. I had the script. This is what I'm going to do. Five-year goals, five-year plans. This is, I'm going to have 300 members, 400 members. And one day God said, will you just throw down the script? Will you just acknowledge me and I'll direct your path? And will you stop letting your ideas get in the way of a transformed heart? Let your heart be transformed and then we'll start from there. But hold on. Eat these notes real quick. But, uh, but you know what? God wants us to be revolutionary. I'll never forget one day we went to Skid Row. We saw these teenagers, and we, we began to bring them in. And these girls were living in our building, 13, 14 years of age. It was the saddest thing in the world because their parents left them at our building. They were dropping, they were dropping teenagers at our doorstep, saying, we don't want our kids. We want to use And I didn't know what to do. We didn't have a permit, so I just started taking people in the building. And I wasn't supposed to because we didn't have a license. But what are you going to do when they drop off 13, 14-year-old girls and their parents are using drugs? They don't want them anymore. So I started taking them in <laughs> illegally because sometimes you got to go gangster for Jesus. You just got to do it, you know. You just got to go straight up thug for Jesus. You got to meet the need and figure out the process later, you know. And I went to the city. I said, people are dropping their kids off. Help us get a license. And we, and we got license. And these young 13, 14-year-old girls live in our building. And one day, these two sisters began to tell their story of living on Skid Row and living next door to a prostitution ring. And the, sh- and the, the shower doors were ripped off where the pedophiles were watching the girls take showers every single day. It was like living in hell. And they began to tell their testimonies of how the Dream Center rescued them and took them in. And we raised them from 13 all the way to 18 years of age. They have nowhere to go. These girls have never been outside, many of them, their city, in like a two-mile radius. They, the first time we took them to a restaurant, they didn't know how to order off a menu because they'd never been to a restaurant before. 
And we took these young girls in. We started ministering to them. And I'll, I'll never forget, a lady came in town from, from Denver, this, this area. And she was a businesswoman. She wanted to hear these girls' stories. And the girls began to tell stories of how their life was transformed for the glory of God. She was so stirred by these stories that she called me back. She said, Pastor, I want to do something for these girls for Christmas. I want to bless these girls. I want to just help them out. Can, can I do something special for all the girls? I said, what do you want to do? She said, can I rent a reg? You, Pastor, I want you to get a restaurant where I could take these girls and bless them for Christmas breakfast. I said, great. So I called McDonald's. I said, hey, McDonald's, do you got a back room for all these girls? Trying to save her money, you know. And, and they said, yes. I called her back. I said, good news. McDonald's has got back room for all these girls, and they're going to take them in. She said, Pastor, you can do better than that. These are women of the Most High God. These are children of the Most High God. And you want to take them to McDonald's? I thought you were a man of vision. You could do better than that. So I said, okay, I'm kicking up my game. I called IHOP. <laughs> Not the one in Kansas City either, but the one in the restaurant. And, and, I, and I called IHOP, and I said, IHOP, do you got a place for the girls? They said, yes, we do. I called her back. I said, we got a place for all the girls at IHOP. And she said, Pastor, I'm offended. These girls are amazing young ladies. And you are taking, I said, you know what? I'm trying to save this lady money, and she's getting mad at me. So I called the most expensive place I could find in Beverly Hills. We're talking about a $50 meal for every single kid buffet. So we got in the bus, and we brought these kids over to Beverly Hills. And I told the kids, you know, I'll do the Bible study on the bus. But I got a special surprise for you. And they opened the doors, and they walked in this hotel. And they saw celebrities like David Perkins walking around. And they saw just amazing people like Chris Durso is going to tear the house off the building tomorrow. And uh, they saw these amazing people. I'm not intimidated by, by celebrities. I'm, I'm intimidated by your pastor, but I'm not intimidated by celebrities, you know. And, 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 and so I walked in there. I'll never forget these girls. Walked in there, and they saw everything. And I mean, they're walking, looking at everything, stealing silverware and everything. I mean, how do you think we got so much money at the Dream Center? We just take it back in Jesus' name. I mean, literally take it back. <laughs> we, we redeem it for Jesus, you know. And these girls are walking around. The lady said, Pastor, I'm so blessed. I am so blessed. I love these girls. She said, I got a special gift for all the girls. I got 50 bags. Are you ready? I want you to open them up, girls. One, two, three. Open up. And every single one of these girls opened up their gift bag. And every single one of them had gift certificates to go shopping at the mall, at the Beverly Center Mall, for $500 a piece. And off I went with 40 teenage girls to the mall for seven hours. I'd rather spend seven years in the tribulation than seven hours of 40 teenage girls at the mall. Why is it that teenage girls want everything at the first place, then have to walk around the mall for seven hours to go back to the first place where they wanted everything in the first place? One girl said, Pastor, will you walk with me to Forever 21? I said, why? She said, I will never get this much money to shop ever again. I'm going to buy everything I can find for $4. And she went to the side. I go, do you like that shirt? No, I don't, Pastor. But I'll never get this chance again. And I want to buy it just because it's cheap, because they're new. And I said, well, you can buy whatever you want. She said, no, no, no. Pastor, you don't understand. This is the first time someone's ever taken me shopping. And so I just stood there. She walked in $4.08 and 12 And I've never seen I'm, I'm holding her bags and everything. And uh, she's walking around like a little diva. And I'm holding her bags like I'm a little celebrity uh, um, bodyguard or something. And then another girl said, Pastor, I'm saving my money for MAC makeup. I'm like, Mac, makeup, that's like expensive. That's like way, like pricey makeup. She said, yeah, Pastor, I'm taking it to the next level. I'm going to Mac makeup. I always go to Kmart to get my makeup, and now I'm going to Mac makeup. And I said, oh, no, Mac makeup, uh, uh, Beverly Hills, these ladies are so snooty, and they're so rude, and they're kind of, their noses up in the air. And so I ran ahead of the girls. I said, ladies, 
a bunch of girls are coming in. They don't look like they have much money. But every single one of these girls has $500. I want you to treat them really, really nice, will you? And I've never seen those Beverly Hills women so nice to these teenage girls. Oh, yeah, sure thing. And they're like putting makeup on these girls like, oh, honey, you look like J-Lo. Oh, my goodness, you know. Oh, you look like Beyonce, you know. And I mean, they were just going crazy. And then it was almost over. We were walking up the door. She said, Pastor, we're not done yet. I said, really? We're not done yet. She said, I rented out a place to get for all the girls to get a pedicure. Everyone's getting a pedicure. I'm renting the whole place out. She said, Pastor, but the only way um, we're getting a pedicure is if you get a pedicure too, Pastor. I'm like, hey, hey. I'm a senior pastor. I don't get pedicures. Worship leaders do, but pastors don't, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. You know that's true. I'm going to preach the gospel with you like, no, but uh, as I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll put my feet up, and I said, I'll take one for the team. And I kind of enjoyed it. It wasn't bad. It tickles a little bit in the bottom, but, you know, it's like, do what you got to do for the cause. And then we went back, and the, the girl said, Pastor, can we model our clothes on back at the rehab home? And they were trying their clothes on. They had, like, all these mixed things that didn't match. Nothing made sense. They just put together any crate. It didn't have to make sense. Because it made sense in the spiritual realm. I, got, I left that place after about probably 10 to 11 hours of those girls. And I pull over the corner of the street. I just begin to cry. I said, God, I came to L.A. at 20 years of age. And I thought, boy, um, the, the pastor's son of a three-generation preacher showed up. Everyone's going to get all excited. And God said, I had to break you. You had to lose everything. You had to go to a place of rock bottom in your life where all it was was a prayer walk and a desperation and a place of empowerment where you simply say, God, I have nothing left, but I have a few steps in the direction of faith. And if you're here tonight and you feel like you don't have much left, you feel like you don't have much steps left to take, just start walking and speaking in the direction of faith. And one day you're going to end up like David. You're going to be swinging a slingshot say, oh my goodness, I just start asking a bunch of questions. What if this giant fell? Is there not a cause? What will be done for the man who takes away the reproach of Israel? I was just asking questions that had to pertain to faith. <laughs> I didn't know that I'd be facing the world's greatest monster, but hey, I've already, I've already made a decision to be full of faith. Why not throw a rock? And why not knock down a giant? One move can change your life. My church one day came up to me. They said, Pastor, we have an outreach we're going to do at Skid Row. We got a permit. My church heard that I spent several days homeless on the streets of Skid Row. And, and the first couple chapters of my book opens up with me living on the streets of Skid Row and homeless. And as a pastor, living homeless amongst the people and living amongst rats the size of softballs and living amongst the porta-potties that are being used as prostitution rings. And I told the story of living homeless, what it was like to live amongst 8,000 homeless people in a few block radius and eating at the bonfires in the middle of the night and seeing people shooting up everywhere. I told that story to our church, and they got so stirred by it. They said, Pastor, we got a permit for you to come to Skid Row and preach a revival there. I'm like, oh, man, praise the Lord, you know. And uh, I, I just had my heart broken there. Now they want me to go back seven days later. I don't know if I can handle it anymore. But I said, okay, because you can't say no to a group of people full of faith, you know. And I went there, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the sights and the sounds of preaching and seeing people up against walls. Just shooting up and their eyes rolling in the back of their head. And seeing a place called the wall where people literally go to die. People come from all over America to use and to shoot up and die at this wall. 
they, they literally, they go there to have literally the world swallow them up so they can die. And I saw those people up against the wall, and I saw crowds everywhere, and they were just, every, and, and we had a little revival, one rapper got up there and said, I used to live on that wall, and the Dream Center bus came by and picked me up and brought me to church and took me to rehab. And another guy stood up, and homeless Barry got up, and I lived under the bridge for 15 years, and God saved me. Then another kid got up now, his name is Jonathan Martinez, he came to our rehab program at 15 years of age. He got sentenced to us by the courts. Actually, he, we, we found him. He was in, in his room, and he was reading. He'd never been to church before. He read the pages of the Bible, and he ripped the page of the Bible out. He rolled it into a joint, and he used the toaster to smoke the Bible. I know, it's bad. He was literally smoking the Holy Ghost. Did you know what I'm talking about? And he gave a testimony how he wasn't saved, and he used the pages of the Bible to smoke. A weird story. I won't go into details, but how he got saved, and now he's one of my pastors. And then finally they said, Pastor, we want you to speak. And I didn't know what to speak. Finally, I just stood up and I said, I'm going to preach to you on the subject of the advantages of hitting rock bottom. And I preached about hitting rock bottom. I'll never forget. I will never forget as long as I live preaching on a stage, a little tiny stage, and having 20 guys lean up on the stage when I'm preaching this close to me. And every single one of them was smoking weed. I mean, they were all smoking marijuana. Now, can you imagine preaching a sermon with 20 people smoking marijuana within two feet of you? Man, I was hungry after that sermon. I had the munchies, man. I mean, I had to go to 7-Eleven and get some nachos in the middle of the night or something. Man, I was hungry. It, it is what it is. Secondhand smoke kind of, some people said that was the greatest sermon I ever preached in my life. They say, Pastor, we like you so much more chill that day. I don't know. But I said, who wants to, I'm like, who wants to get saved? No, who wants to get saved? And a bunch of the guys on the, who were leaning up, every one of them said, I want to get saved. And one guy said, Pastor, I, I, I said, well, get on the rehab bus. We're going to rehab. And one guy got so excited, he took his joint. He said, praise the Lord. And he threw it on the ground, and he just started running to the bus. Went, wow. Another guy said, praise the Lord, brother, I'm going too. And he took his joint. He's like this, you know. He was a little slower laying it down, but eventually he got there. Amen. He was a work in progress. And there's another guy. He was on something else. He was running sprints my whole sermon. Like he was breaking Olympic records in 100 meters. He was like the whole time I'm preaching, I didn't think I was getting through. He goes, I'm going to go into rehab. I'm going to go into rehab. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord too. Amen. And he literally sprinted onto the bus. And 60 days later, I stood up and I said, how many of you guys came, came from that outreach? And I looked up and there was, about, I think there was about 11 guys that were standing up there. And about eight of the 11 who've been living homeless for decades on Skid Row graduated our rehab program. And now today, 40% of my staff is ex-users and gang members and crips and bloods. And they're working for God and they're my staff. And these 240-pound ex-gangsters walk in. And they're like, they're like, they don't have much ministry experience, but they'll shoot you. No, and, uh, and they come in, you know, and, and they're like, Pastor, what do you want me to do today? I'm like, I can't really tell them what to do. I just make suggestions. Well, you might want to, you know, take a look at this. And I begin to realize very quickly that the dreams you take into the vision by faith are not oftentimes the vision you come out with. 
You take a heart into what God has for you. You take the desperation into what God has for you. You come down to a place like this. That's why I get a little nervous. That's why I get jumpy when I come to a place to preach like this. That's why I feel the intensity because it brings me back to a moment when all I had left was a move. It was a 16-year-old stuttering kid who could barely finish a sentence. And I stood up and I stuttered and said, I feel called of God to preach. And people laughed at me. And I, I, and I understood why they did. I mean, I had limitations. But I know what it's like to just make a move, to take up your bed and walk, to throw a rock and say, God, do something that I cannot do. I'll close with this. First day I came to L.A., I'm 20 years of age. I mean, I'm so skinny back then that when I stuck out my tongue, I looked like a zipper. I'm the only white guy in 10 miles of any direction. Everybody thought I was a Mormon when I got there. They're like, are you a Mormon? I know, I'm just white, you know. And I'm not the only white guy. The first day I got there, I inherited a church of 18 people. They're all over 65 years of age. Good people. They've just been in the church for a long time. And when I got there, there was an ambulance on the front. I said, and I said what happened? They said, on my first day, a boy came by and on drive-by shooting and murdered another boy. And he's dead right here on the steps of this church. That was my welcome to Los Angeles. I walked around the steps. It was an old building. I had to take like 10 steps to get into the building right on the sidewalk. I walked into my church. I said, church, I know I'm supposed to preach a sermon to you and all this. I know I'm supposed to do it, but I can't. A young boy has been murdered. We need to do something for this family. Can we just cancel the little Wednesday night meeting and go across the street and minister to the family? They laughed at me. They said, Pastor, you don't understand something. The gang members, they stick to themselves over there, and we, the church pit people, stick to ourselves over here. I said, oh, okay, we have our gang, and they have their gang. I said, but you know what? Let's just go over there, and let's just see what God might do. I couldn't get a volunteer, so I do what most preachers do, and they can't get volunteers. I received an offering. Amen. When all else fails, receive an offering. And, and I received an offering. I said, well, I'm going to bring it to the family. They gave me $38. He said, Pastor, we'll give you money, but we won't go with you. I said, fair enough. So I went across the street to an apartment attached to a liquor store. I knocked on the door, and all of a sudden the door flung open, and I was staring in the face of the biggest gang member I'd ever seen in my life. He looked down at me, and then I looked up at him, and then I looked up at God and said, God, I've always heard there's a place called heaven. Save me a place as I'm coming home real soon. This guy had so many tattoos on his left bicep that if he flexed it, the Old Testament could come out. And the New Testament over here. He was like a pop-up book. He said, what do you want? I said, I'm the new pastor of the neighborhood. Can I just pray and give some money to the mother? He looked at me. He said, all right, Padre, make it quick. You'll say, did you question him? Because you're not a Padre. You're a pastor. Uh-uh. When you're that big, you can call me Padre. You can call me Rabbi. You can call me Bishop. Whatever you want to call me. Just don't kill me. Amen? I walked in there, and the mother was crying, and she was, she was just screaming. Gang members were talking about getting revenge and how they were going to get guns. And I'm just walking. I mean, I'm just walking a $38, a Mormon kid. I mean, no, I didn't know what I was doing. And the mother was praying. I said, I want to give you this money. I just want you to know that we're going to help you bury your son. And I'm the new pastor, and we're going to be here for you. I'm telling you, folks, God is just looking for someone to make a move. Not the perfect move. Not the figured out move. Not the plan on paper move. But a move in the direction of obedience. And I gave her the $38, and she's all gracias, Padre. And she just hugged me. She was so sweet. And, and, and I gave her the money, and I'm heading towards the door. I mean, I'm not like, there's a man who, who was a famous New York City evangelist. His name was David Wilkerson. And David Wilkerson wrote a book called The Cross and Switchblade. And in this book, David Wilkerson would look at gang members and say, If you chop me up, every piece of me will tell you that Jesus loves you. I'm not that brave. I'm giving the money. I'm out the door, you know. 
As I'm getting close to the door, a hand grabbed me and spun me around. I'm staring in the face of this gang member. He said, Padre, I want you to do anything. I want you to do something for me. I said, what do you mean to do? He said, he said, I want you. I said, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll rub your back. I'll rub your feet. I'll order your beer. I'll even drink it with you. Just don't kill me. Amen. Well, don't look at me spiritual. I'm trying to stay alive, brother, you know. And he said, I want you to stay and pray for the family. I didn't know what to do. I just got out of Bible college for two years and I finished. But Bible college doesn't prepare you for gang ministry 101. And drive-by 102 is not in the curriculum. So I got together in the circle. I began to pray my Bible college prayer. I said, dear Lord, I pray that you'll bless. I, pray, I memorized a prayer. It's called prayer of need and time of comfort, which means if you're scared to death to pray in a situation, it's a Bible college memorized prayer. It's called autopilot prayer. It's a fancy prayer that will just get you out and won't cause any trouble. And we got together, and I'm joining hands, all these gang members. And I began to pray my prayer, dear Lord. I pray that you would bless this habitation with your glorification and may your manifestation be here during this presentation, O oh God, of grace and station. I pray that you'll bless the birds and the trees and the flowers and the leaves of my knees. As I'm like rhyming. I'm like flowing like Snoop Dogg or Dr. Dre. I'm like, how am I doing this? I can't flow. But all of a sudden, I am like King James Bible school flowing. And right in the middle of my religious flow, the Lord spoke a word to me. He said, I want you to stop your flowing. I mean, I want you to stop. And I, you'll never get this opportunity ever again. Pray from the heart. I said, okay. I said, God, I pray that these young men would, would get their life right with God. I pray that they would realize tonight that they're not as strong as they think they are. And right when I was joining hands, I said those words. A gang member squeezed my right hand. Then the other gang member squeezed my left hand. I said, oh, God, he hates my prayer. I'm going down. But if, I go, if I'm going out, I might as well get my name of the Fox's Book of Martyrs on the way out, you know. So I just continued on. Finally, in the middle of my bold prayer about getting saved, I said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just a suggestion, I want you to raise your right hand. I'll never forget that gang member raising his right hand, and then the other gang member raising their left hand. And to my shock and to my dismay, I couldn't relate. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't have the formula to reach the gang members. Just goofy enough to show up at $38. And I said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and repeat this prayer after me. And every single one of those gang members accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on that day. And after that, I had the best bodyguards my car never got broken into. I'd go across the street to the liquor store to get me a 40-ounce Coke. I mean, that kind of 40. And <laughs> pressure of the ministry gets to you sometimes, you know. No, and uh, I'd, go, <laughs> I'd go across. Some of you got that. That was funny. And I'd go across the street, and the guy would say, Hola, Padre, como estas, Padre? I'd say, I'm not a Padre. I'm the pastor. He says, you're the Padre of this neighborhood, and the Padre gets all the free food and drinks he wants in this hood. I said, you say free food, free drinks? He said, yes, I did. I said, bless you, my son, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, saints, prophets. I'm, listen, I'm throwing holy water and everything on the brother, you know, and don't let titles get in the way of free food, man. It's not that important. It really is in the big scheme of things. And I walk outside, and all my friends would drive by from Phoenix, where I came from the mega church. Hey, oh, I know what you're doing. You're doing two years of mission work. And then you're going to come over and take over a real church. I said, this is a real church. They said, no, it's not. This isn't a real church. I said, why? They said, because you don't have a big enough lobby to have a church. And you've got graffiti on the walls. Nobody's going to come to church with graffiti on the walls across the street. I said, that's not graffiti on the walls. That's beautiful art. And they would say things like, you know what? You don't have a big enough lobby. You don't have a coffee shop. And every great Christian church that has to have a coffee shop. I said, trust me, I know I want one. I really do. 
<laughs> I think they're awesome, but I, I don't have anything. I, mean, I got a sidewalk in a church building. They said, you can't build a great church if you don't have a big lobby for people to fellowship. I said, I know. We don't have a coffee shop. I know. But we got a liquor store across the street. <laughs> and you could have whatever you like. Yeah, I mean, you really can. I mean, takes, <laughs> makes, anyways. And, uh, and I walked outside in a world that doesn't make sense to me. I've never used drugs in my life. I have never used alcohol in my life. I'm not bragging because I've done a lot of other things that were stupid. But yet God has called, called me to reach drug addicts and runaway street kids and trafficking victims that call us in the middle of the night that are getting beat down in hotels that have nowhere to go and bring these girls in. The mission doesn't look like what it is on paper, but I want to tell you something, it never matches what you put on paper because God oftentimes will get you to a place of obedience, get you somewhere just by responding in obedience. And then when you get there, he'll oftentimes show you something that is so far different than what you brought into it. And I thought that God wanted me to do this and this and this, but no, he wanted me to start a 24-7 church that would never sleep, that would be open 24 hours a day, ministering to the lives of people that wasn't in the playbook. But some of the greatest plans of life are the broken plays of life. When you show up and start asking questions, what if? What if? Who is this guy? David, don't even speak his name. He's intimidating. But who is he? And then he says, what shall be done to the man that taketh away the reproach of Israel? Well, why is this guy mocking God? And then Dave's getting a little further down the road. Is there not a great cause? Won't somebody live for something that's bigger than themselves? And then it's leading him even further. And now he's in the dressing room, putting on armor. It didn't work for him, but now he's in armor. And he says, you know what, I'm cool. I mean, I'll just kind of show up to battle. And the young man is in the greatest arena. And you now he starts off by saying, what if... How can this guy do this? And now he's talking trash to the giant. He's like, today, I'm going to chop your head off, and you're going to fall to the ground, and the birds and the beasts are going to eat you alive. All of a sudden, his faith has grown to a place to where he's simply saying, God, what if? To where now he's slinging a rock, taking on the biggest battle, and believing with God all things are possible. What if tonight you move to the other side of your intimidation? What if you decide to face the biggest giant in your life that has tried to enslave you every single day? What if you overcame the greatest fears and insecurities of your life? What if you overcame growing up in a home where maybe your dad didn't serve God and he's a drunk and all they said is you'll be like your dad. You're going to be like your old man. You're going to be like your mom. And what if you chose to see through the giants of your life to see the other side of the miracle. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is always another side to intimidation. And you will find that it's the miracle side of what God has been waiting to birth with one moment of desperation. And one moment of saying, God, I have nothing to give you. Please touch my heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed, they begin to play, and the band begins to play. We're going to worship God. I, I, I just want you to sing something that will just, anything that you feel led by the Spirit to sing tonight, but I just believe that tonight God is moving all over this building. I believe that tonight there are some people that need to make some moves tonight. 
You need to make a move like the move that I took. I had nothing left. A four-hour prayer walk. And tonight, you're in this place and you're saying, God, I just want to make a move tonight. I need to make a move. I need to overcome something in my life that's stopping my destiny. Maybe your move tonight is the greatest move of all, and that is to say, Jesus, come into my life. and be my Lord and Savior. If all you have left is to say, Jesus, be my Lord, that prayer has pleased the heart of God through the entire book of the Bible. God was so pleased with people that just simply said, God, here I am. I'm desperate for you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And you're here tonight, and you'll say, Pastor, I need to make a move. I've got nothing left, but I have the greatest move that I can possibly make, and that is a move towards a cross of Jesus Christ tonight. And all over this room tonight, you'll say, Pastor, I am ready to move. I am ready to move in the direction of faith here tonight. I am ready to say, God, I have one move left, and I'm going to make it towards your cross. And as they begin to play in the background as God is moving all over this room, I hear, I believe that tonight is going to be the night. You're here and you're away from God. You're not in a place to where maybe you're living for God, but you're ready tonight. You are ready to surrender all. You've been holding back or you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. But tonight you'll say, this is my day. This is my move. I'm making a move towards the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I make a move towards the cross, I find the cause that I was meant to live for. You're here tonight and you'll say, I'm this building I, God's really going to do something big right now because you heard that. Amen? That was a boom of your heart ready to explode right now. That's what that was. And you're here tonight and you're ready to make a move all over this building. Just begin to play as the worship team begins to sing. I believe that God's going to do something great in this building tonight. I believe that you are ready. You're here tonight and you'll say, Pastor, I want to make a move to the cross. I want to give my life to Jesus. Tonight's my night. I'm going to surrender everything to the throne of God. When I say three, I want you to raise your hands all over this room. God is moving in a mighty way. I just feel it in my spirit. Tonight's going to be the night. Tonight's going to be when you rise, take up your bed, and walk. One, all over this building. Two, I believe when I say three, hands are going to go up all over this building from the right to the left to the front to the back. You're here tonight, and you'll say, all I have left is a move, God. And I make it towards a cross. I surrender to what Jesus did for me. I give my life to you, Lord. No more running. No more hiding. I've got nothing left to give you but my heart. Hey, if that's all you had, that's all he's ever wanted. And you're here tonight and you're ready to make a move towards Jesus, to make a move to the cross. If you're here in this building and you're ready tonight to move towards a Savior and give your life and dedicate your life 100% to Jesus Christ all over this building. When I say three, I want you to raise your hands. One, two, three. Lift them up. They're going up. They're going up all over this building. Hands are going up everywhere. Hundreds. Just keep raising them all over this room. Just keep raising them. Just keep raising them all over this room. I want everyone raising your hands right now. Just lift your hands towards God. And everyone together, loud and strong. This is your moment. This is your move. Everyone together, loud and strong. Repeat these words after me. This is your day to receive Christ and be transformed by his glory. Everyone together, repeat these words after me. Dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for all my sin. I moved to the cross. I embrace you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. So now I will live for you. Thank you for coming to my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. There's also others of you here tonight who are here in this building who will say, Pastor, I want to join those that raise their hand and I need to make a move tonight. I need to forgive somebody that's hurt me so bad. 
I need to love someone that's put hate in my life. I need tonight to overcome the greatest addiction of my life that's trying to hold me back. Tonight, I need to move. I know you've called me to do something, God, but I'm resisting it because all I'm seeing is my own flesh getting in the way. Maybe there's a move tonight that you need to make. Maybe there's a a moment that you have tonight. All I had left was a prayer walk in in, in a city that changed the whole destiny and tide. I'm telling you tonight, if you just decided to get a little bit desperate this altar tonight, you will see the glory of God revealed. You will get visions and dreams tonight. I believe that God's going to give you power that you tried in the flesh. You are now going to obtain through the Spirit. I want everyone who's holding a mat. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. This I want you to do. I want you to sling a rock in the direction of faith and desperation tonight. I want you to throw a rock of faith tonight. I want you to rise up and say, God, tonight, I wonder what if, what if I dedicated myself? What if I saw through the biggest intimidating force of my life and I saw my destiny? What if, God? That's your question tonight. If that's what you're asking yourself tonight, you are in a position for a miracle. Are you ready? All over this building. I want every single one tonight. And this desperation, I love that name. Tonight, you're getting desperate. You're saying, I'm ready, Pastor. I'm ready to make a move in the direction of faith. I'm ready. I have one move left. But it's a radical surrender, all-out move to God. Get ready. All over this building. When I say three, I just want you to get to the altar as fast as you can. I'm going to try to pray for hundreds of you. But if you're ready here tonight, and you'll say, I'm ready to make a move in faith, I take my move. Everyone that raised your hand, and you that did, but you need a prayer. You need to make a move. I want you to come to the front right now. We're going to pray for you. Come on. As he works out. Look at this. Look at this tonight. Look at this tonight. Look at this. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen. Just raise your hand. Come on, give God the move. Give him that move tonight. Come on, give him that move. Go ahead and worship God. Go ahead and worship him tonight. I'm going to pray. I'm done. Pastor, you can take it anytime you're ready. We're going to believe God for great things. Hallelujah.